Welcome to TDAM Talks, a TD Asset Management Podcast. Join us for insights and analysis on current themes and capital markets from our thought leaders. From market insights to investment strategies, we'll help you navigate the complex landscape of investing. Hello, Happy New Year. Welcome to TDAM Talks Podcast. This is our year ahead special, always one of our most anticipated crystal ball episodes where we consider twists and turns of the financial landscape and take a look at the trends that may, lots of disclosure, shape the markets in the year ahead. I'm Ingrid McIntosh, and today I'm welcoming back David Sykes, Chief Investment Officer here at TD Asset Management, who will be the first to say that there is no crystal ball, but let's look at the trends and themes for the upcoming year. So David, welcome back. It's been a minute. <laughs> Hi, Ingrid. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Okay, we joke a lot about this, but philosophically, what's your view on year-ahead forecasts? Well, um, year-ahead forecasts are uh, interesting, entertaining. They're they're a necessary exercise. But I would say I can make lots of predictions, uh, but my confidence in those predictions is rather low. I think what's more important as investors uh, and as an investment team is that we focus on not just the next 12 months, but the next 36 months, the next 60 months, the next 10 years. We really do take a long-term perspective and, you know, trying to guesstimate uh, the next 12 months is awfully fun. But again, I think what's really important for us is that our team uh, is made up of people who really stick to a very, very disciplined investment process. And if I think about my confidence in that process, it's extremely high. I think about our various portfolio managers and our analyst teams and the rigor that they go through each and every day to make sure uh, that they follow a process that will continue to find companies that can repay their debt can increase cash flow, can in- increase dividends to shareholders. That's really what I have high confidence in, but I'm happy to talk about the year ahead. I'm happy to make all kinds of predictions, but you know, we'll see whether or not they come true. Well, what I love about a year ahead forecast is we record them and I can look at last year's and see how well we did. And guess what? I've done that. Um, I've listened back to the 2023 uh, year ahead podcast, and I think we got a lot right. It's like the secret of comedy. Ask me what's the secret of comedy. What's the secret of it's comedy? It's timing. <laughs> so really, I think we'll talk about, you know, a lot of the things we predicted, how they played out, in the, and we'll look forward. So we looked back, we talked about, you know, inflation, rates, geopolitics. We could have probably not predicted what we saw, but maybe just give us a little bit of, you know, where we are at the end of 23 compared to where we predicted. Yeah. So I think if we went back a year ago, we were talking about, um, you know, interest rates that were high uh, and were headed higher, but we did feel at some point you'd see a reversal in that trend and rates move lower. I think they've moved materially lower as we've entered sort of the end of 23. And we've seen pretty strong returns in fixed income. Now, that's been very much uh, at the end of 23. Uh, that story took a little bit longer to play out. I think you've seen a significant rebound in equity markets, um, you know, very strong. Surprising, really. Really, really strong. Yeah. Put that in context for people. Like, where are we at the end of the year compared to where we were even three months ago? Yeah. I mean, we've moved um, just in the last two months, 12 to 15 percent, you know, depending on the major indices. So it's been a huge, huge move. And, you know, you've seen seen bond yields go from something like 5 percent in the United States on a treasury to now uh, 3.9 percent. So just a massive, massive move in, say, the last three and a half weeks. The, The one interesting area for me has been on the alternative side. If I think about, you know, real estate, global real estate, it's actually done much better than we would have thought. You know, in a rising rate environment, in a post-pandemic world, lots of questions about office and vacancy. You know, we've had positive returns in that asset class. And so that's been a, a very nice, positive surprise. But I would say as we enter the end of 23, 
It's no secret that rates have moved up materially over the course of the year. We've seen significant improvement in inflation. You know, the United States and Canada had 8 9% inflation. We're now down to 3 or 4%, depending on the measure you use. There's no question in my mind as we look ahead, uh, you're going to see the impact of those rate increases. Um, and they'll, they'll manifest themselves in various ways. But I think economically speaking, inflation is down a lot. And you've started to see growth slow. And I think in Canada, more so than uh, a slowdown in the United States. So let's break it down a little bit, and, and this is what our listeners love, is like, let's look at it asset class by asset class and, and get your gut on how we're feeling about it. Um, at a high level, optimistic, pessimistic, neutral going into 24. Uh, I'd say neutral to optimistic, but again, depending on the asset class. Okay. Equities. So on the equity front, I think it's fair to say that we've seen our earnings that were much more resilient in 23 than expected. On a year-over-year basis, each quarter... Uh, was slowly trending down. And in Q3, Q4, we're expecting you're going to have negative year-over-year earnings growth. But as we get into the second half of next year, even with a rather significant slowdown in economic activity, you should see year-over-year earnings growth pick up. So growth will be positive on the earnings front. There's questions around the multiple, but I suspect you know we think about 4 5 6% returns for next year, at least in Canada, the dividend yields are very strong little bit of an uh, elevated valuation um, look in the United States. You know, Europe has had a decent year uh, in 23 for equities, probably less optimistic about Europe. And China, I think, has a bit of, uh, of work to be done. But overall, I would say mid-single-digit returns as we look out to 24. For so many of our investors' portfolios, bonds make up a meaningful portion. What's the outlook for bonds from here? So we've had a big move, as I've mentioned, but I still think uh, more upside to come. Again. Um, depending on the geography, the Fed, the Bank of Canada, more so the Fed has indicated that they will cut rates. Um, you know, the Bank of Canada has said sometime in 24. Uh, and with that backdrop, we still think there's room for yields to move lower. And remember with fixed income, it's not only that duration side of the equation, whereas, you know, rates move lower, uh, yields drop and you get uh, a capital gain, you also do get the income and the yields coming into the end of the year are in that 4 to 5% range. So I think we'd look for high single-digit returns in the fixed income market. That's a great outlook. And I think, you know, compared to the beginning of the year, you didn't have that protection of that running yield, and, and today you do. So net-net, fixed income investors are in a much better place. How about alts, real estate? Yeah, so on the, on the alternative side, you know, we talk about alts, but the, really if we divide it up into its subclasses, um, you know, at one end, a very uh, low-duration area would be our commercial mortgages. You know, the yield there today is 7%. The duration is something like two years. So we're very, very keen uh, and supportive and optimistic about the return profile uh, for commercial mortgages. On the Canadian real estate side, I think it's a little bit more challenging. I think it's a year where, you know, we're going to finally see if we get uh, an answer to the question about return to office and, you know, what does happen to, to occupancy. We'll have to see, but I think that would be sort of on the weaker side. And then on the very, very strong side, I think if we looked at our global infrastructure product, there's just so many uh, projects around the world with very attractive returns, whether it's in uh, ports, whether it's in um, you know, wind turbines, uh, whether it's in solar farms. We just have so many exciting uh, projects in that product that I think it's going to be another year of hopefully strong uh, double-digit returns for our infrastructure one last one, a uh, newer tool in the TDAM toolkit is the area of commodities. What's your outlook for that? Yeah, so very keen on commodities, not necessarily from a sense of trying to call a bottom or, you know, call a top. But I think the key with commodities 
is it provides a number of features from an asset allocation portfolio construction perspective. If I think about the role commodities plays, generally speaking, over time, you've seen positive returns, which is nice. You generally see that it's a protection against inflation, which is nice. But what's really cool about commodities is generally speaking, with major asset classes, commodities has a very, very low and sometimes negative correlation. And so you know, if you have a portfolio and everything's working or nothing's working, that's really not what you want to see. You want to have a diversifier in there with those low to negative correlations, and that's really the spot for commodities. We've done a lot of work on this, and it's hard to say exactly, but in general, an allocation to a typical portfolio of 3 4 5 6%, we feel is about the sweet spot. And so for commodities, uh, really happy with our team there and think it's a really important uh, building block to a proper, efficient portfolio. Yeah, I think that's a, a great holistic portfolio look on it. Your mission in life isn't to find the highest returning asset classes all the time. It's to build portfolios that are resilient and will endure over the long time. And I think that's really a great way that you've you've framed it. Yeah. And, and Ingrid, just to add to that point, I think it's really key for people to remember, you know, we have views on the price of oil. We have views on, um, you know, wheat and corn, and we have views on all kinds of commodities. But really, at the end of the day, what well, we are stewards of capital. And, you know, we come to work every single day uh, for our clients, and we uh, we strive uh, as best as we possibly can to seek the best risk-adjusted returns for those clients. And we think about our, ourselves as stewards of capital, as I mentioned previously, for very long periods of time, not necessarily the next six months or 12 months, trying to find that one asset class that outperforms all others. I want to talk now about some of the things that we wouldn't have seen coming in 2023, some of the big themes and what they maybe look like in 2024. So indulge me a little bit here. First, I want to talk about Magnificent Seven theme. And for our listeners, this is really the dominating securities that really held most of the return in 2023. So Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, Amazon, Meta, uh, Tesla, and Alphabet. What's the outlook in 2024? More breadth, same sort of theme. So I think a couple of points I would make. One, you're absolutely right. The market uh, in the United States in 2023 was really driven by those seven stocks. You know, don't hold me to the exact numbers, but something like 70% of the total return of the market was attributed to those seven stocks. There's good news, though. Those are real companies. The ones you just mentioned, I mean, they're real companies with real business models, with a competitive advantage, with significant cash flow generation. Um, these are real businesses. I think for us, though, the question would really be around valuation of some of them. They tend to be a little bit more on the pricey side, and they're building in quite a bit of expectation. I think as we move into 24, if you start to see rates come down, both at the short and the long end of the curve, that should allow a rotation away from those big Magnificent Seven and into some smaller caps, some mid caps, some value stocks that have not participated over the last two years. You know, the average stock in the S&P 500 is kind of flat to down over the last two years. And while the valuations of the Magnificent Seven tend to skew on the high side, for the average stock, the other 493 stocks, the multiples on those stocks are basically in line with long-term averages. So I think, you know, as we look out, those Magnificent Seven companies are going to continue to dominate, take share, do what they do. But I think for us, if you see a normal rate environment, a normalization of those rates, I think you see a rotation away from the Magnificent Seven, and the market breadth can broaden out and take us to new highs. So another huge theme in 2023 and really the sort of the evolution of generative AI, or artificial intelligence, a lot of discussion in 2023 about this. How do we think about it going into 2024? Is this a game changer? How do we think about it when we look across um, asset classes? 
So I do think, um, you know, a lot of times technologies get overhyped uh, and expectations get ahead of themselves. I do think AI is real. It's absolutely a game changer. I think about productivity and cost savings for corporations as, you know, companies continue to uh, weave AI into their everyday business operations. It's real. There's a huge margin enhancing opportunity there. I think that's absolutely for sure. I do think a lot of companies are still trying to figure out or optimize ways to use AI to their benefit, but it's really going to be on the cost synergies, cost savings. I think of less of it on the revenue side, but it certainly is real. And I think it's one of the reasons why we would argue that margins for the market as a whole would tend to be flat to up in our humble opinion, as opposed to down, because we do think AI is going to increase that corporate productivity by a fair bit over the next, say, five to 10 years. Double click on that. Is there any sectors when you think about it? Like, is it just dominating a semiconductor space or do we think about it across all sectors? I think you have to think about it across all sectors. I mean, clearly, uh, you know, it'll be most heavily focused in technology. But if you think about financial services, if you think about industrial companies, if you think about healthcare, even if you think about, you know, consumer staples companies, there are some giant behemoths who will use AI to be able to make their internal operations more efficient, whether it's you know, as mundane a topic as sort of taking notes in a meeting and, you know, storing those notes or scouring databases and, and regulatory rules and being able to find information faster or quicker to do it with less people, I think is going to be a fundamental feature that will play in across almost every company in the public markets. And largely unregulated so far. So I think 2024 will be interesting to see how that all comes through too. Yeah, like all things, uh, you know, the technology tends to get ahead of the lawmakers. And so we haven't seen a lot of um, uh, of new rules coming out around AI, but I'm sure they will be on a fast follow. I'm going to tie the next couple of themes together because I think, you know, for our listeners, this is probably something that touches almost everybody in some way. And it's the um, the intersection of sort of interest rates, home prices. You know, maybe let's talk about interest rates. I, the question everyone will say is, Canada, U.S., how far, how fast, on the way back down? We're at the top of the roller coaster. What are we looking at? Yeah, so I, I'll try and break it up into two geographies. So if you look at the United States first, you know, the typical uh, mortgage uh, United States is a 30-year fixed mortgage. And pre-pandemic, you could get a 30-year fix for something in that 3 to 4% range. Not that many months ago, if you were looking to buy a new home in the U.S., uh, you were financing at almost 8%. And so what that really did was it caused people to stop moving. If you had your starter home uh, and you wanted to trade up and get a bigger house, you just didn't do it because the cost of financing that now was so expensive. But ironically, in the United States, you know, if you have that 30-year mortgage, you're good. Your rate hasn't moved up from, say, 3 or 4% to 8%. So a lot less interest sensitivity for the consumer in the United States. So you didn't see necessarily a collapse in home prices, but what you did see a collapse of was uh, sales of existing homes. It literally just dropped off a cliff because at those high interest rates, people just stopped trading up. I think in Canada, it's a slightly different story. Most mortgages in Canada are five-year fixed. Uh, and so initially, uh, Canadians were getting a five-year mortgage with a 25-year amortization at 2 or 3% you know, five years ago. And you're going to see a wall of maturities coming due in 24, 25, 26. Something like 60% of mortgages that are renewing are going to have to reset, not at 2 or 3%, but something like 5.5%, 6, 6.5%. 6 and that's going to be a significant increase in monthly payments. I mean, just a huge increase for the typical Canadian family. And so I think on the Canadian side, you've definitely seen concerns about the consumer. You've seen some slowdown in the Canadian economy. We had a negative GDP uh, last quarter. 
and you have seen weakness in house prices. But you know the weakness has been five or ten percent kind of price declines and a bit of uh, a lull in activity. But as we look through to twenty four, I think the Bank of Canada has been a little bit firmer and have said, look, we see the end, it's in sight, but we really aren't there just yet. We're going to have to be patient. And so I think if you look at the Bank of Canada, they're talking about cutting rates in 24, but it certainly at this point seems back half loaded. And that will give some relief to those Canadians who do have to reset their mortgages coming up in 24 or 25. Well, faster in the US, you think? That relief will come? Uh, yeah, I think right now the market, well, let, let's take the Fed. The Fed uh, in Powell's most recent press conference said they would cut three times next year. I think the market says that they will cut five times. I think we're probably, you know, our best prediction will be we're somewhere in between. We'd probably uh, say four cuts next year for the Fed. And right now the market thinks that the Fed would cut starting in March of 24. Uh, we find that a bit aggressive. I think we'd be more in the, you know, May, June, July camp for the first cut for the Fed. And then something around that time frame for the Bank of Canada. Right now, again, in Canada, the market thinks the Bank of Canada will cut five times. I think we find that a bit aggressive, particularly with an inflation number that came out today a little bit hotter than expected, still trending the right way. But I think what we have to realize is that interest rates do work, but you have to be patient. There's these long and variable lags, and we probably all want to see lower rates, but it's going to take a little bit longer, in our opinion, than what the market's pricing it. That sort of pivots me a little bit more to the questions that probably the central banks are looking at um, in terms of making those decisions. So what about the um, unemployment outlook for, for 2024? It's very interesting. Both central banks and, you know, indeed central banks around the world have indicated that the phrase really came from Powell and from Tiff Macklin. They talked about, you know, the, the battle against inflation was so important to win. You know, we knew uh, the horrible impacts uh, from inflation that they were willing to, quote unquote, take some pain. Uh, and I think that really meant that they were uh, willing to let the unemployment rate rise. You've seen a pretty significant move in Canada. We've moved from something like 5% unemployment rate to 5.7 or 5.9 in the most recent release. You know, TD Economics, and I think we would support their view, has Canadian unemployment hitting something like mid-sixes, six and a half, six, 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 seven, and that will feel some pain for sure. I think that will do the job and slow down uh, inflation by the end of 24 to something closer to that 2% midpoint um, for the Bank of Canada. I think in the United States, though, you've seen a stronger labor market. Um, there's been a big, big upside surprise every month in non-farm payrolls, and the employment picture just seems much stronger. Unemployment has moved. You know, it was 35 We got to 39 last month, 3.7. It probably goes just north of 4 I think, with current projections. But that will be, you know, the real sign of when we've we've defeated inflation, you will start to see those unemployment numbers tick up. And I think that's the sign that both central banks will say, okay, we've, you know, mission accomplished and now let's start to take rates back. Yeah, and the final one I'd sort of put there in the same same camp is the old big R, like how real are recessionary fears for twenty twenty four? Like we see like we're landing the plane really well, a soft landing, but is there a risk of a recession in twenty twenty four? What would what would have to be true? Yeah, I so I think there is a very real risk. And, you know, whether it's the technical definition of two negative quarters of GDP or whether it's just, you know, very low growth, I think that's highly likely. I think it's probably more likely for the Canadian economy. As I mentioned, consumers here are much more interest rate sensitive. Um, there's much larger consumer debt. Now, I would guess at this point that we're going to see what I would call a recession in Canada, and you'll probably see that play out in, you know, Q1, Q2 of next year. 
But, you know, a recession doesn't mean the end of the world, as long as this isn't a negative GDP of, you know, three, four, five percent, as long as it's a modest recession, I think that's okay. It does look like, again, the United States is a little bit more resilient, a little bit stronger, less interest rate sensitive. And so I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't get a recession in the United States, but again, really low growth, you know, maybe half of one percentage point uh, before the Fed feels comfortable to start uh, taking the rate picture down again. Yeah, from where they're sitting, they actually have the gearing to do it now, both you know, north and south of the border with rates wherever they are. They're, at least they now have some levers to manage that. Yeah, and I think it is important too. I mean, I'm I'm making sort of projections and prognostications about 24, but you know, any type of forecasting requires a huge amount of humility. Somewhere near, I'll be dead wrong one way or the other. But you know, as we sit here today with all the information we have available, that's sort of our outlook. So we've tried to cover everything, right? We tried to cover what's on people's minds. Um, one of the questions I always have, and I think it's really important when this era of imagination always comes to my mind, but what are the risks or opportunities that no one's talking about? Like, you know, what are you thinking about? What keeps you awake at night? And also, what is that What is that opportunity maybe that uh, that is elusive or that, that people aren't talking about yet today? Yeah, so I think I think the, the risk is um, is always unknown and we just don't know. Um, you know, no one would have predicted a global pandemic. No one would have predicted uh, the ascendancy of certain political leaders. No one would have predicted, you know, some of the hostilities and the horrible things we've seen on the geopolitical front. So those keep you up at night and you worry about them, but there really isn't a way to wrap your head around them. But I think on the opportunity side, there's a couple of interesting things. You know, we talked about AI earlier, but if you think about technology and the, the impact that's going to have on the world, we're just getting started. And so if I think about things like semiconductors and I think about, um, you know, giant industrial factories that need to re-gear for the Internet of Things and new production lines, if I think about, um, you know, the electrification uh, of the world thanks to EVs, and if I think about increasing uh, phone penetration across the global consumer profile, I think about semiconductors and new technologies you know, we're just getting started. I know it seems like that we talked about that for a long time, but that's really going to be an interesting space for a lot of opportunity. And the other place that we're pretty excited is in life science tools. And so the analogy I would use here is, you know, this is not a way to play the gold rush. Or sorry, it is a way to play the gold rush, but we're buying the picks and the shovels. And so what I mean by that is there's a lot of discovery coming uh, with AI, with the mapping of the human genome, in healthcare, whether through pharmaceutical companies or biotechnology companies. But they all require these life sciences tools to do the tests, to do the research. And we find that life science is a way you can win, capitalize on that trend, but you don't have to take the innovation or the R&D development risk because whether a company is successful or not, um, they still need those tools. And so we really find that some of these life sciences companies are really, really attractive. And so Again, it's this theme of innovation, and we talk a lot about technology, but at the end of the day, technology, how it's used and implemented by various companies is what drives earnings, it's what drives growth, it's what drives sustainable competitive advantage, and I think there's lots to be excited about. Well, for someone who started the call saying that, you know, not into prognostications, you actually have some amazing insights well, there. I'll, I'll make lots of predictions. <laughs> I'll happily tell you who wins the Stanley Cup, and I'll happily tell you who win the Super Bowl, but my confidence is very low in those. But again, you know, look, Hopefully these things, you know, pan out the way that I think and that the way the team thinks, but inevitably we'll be wrong somewhere. But again, what I have really, really high confidence in, if I think about fixed income team and our alternatives team and our private debt team, I'm incredibly confident in their ability to analyze credits, to understand companies, to make sure that clients get their money back. 
I'm incredibly confident in our equity PMs and the processes they go through to analyze a company, to analyze a sector, to make sure that companies have a competitive advantage, you know, generate free cash flow, return it. I'm incredibly confident in our real estate team and their ability to find, you know, grade A class one office uh, space next to public transit. I'm incredibly confident in our infrastructure team finding great investments, you know, across the world. I'm so confident in the team and the processes they follow. But will all of that pan out in the next 12 months? Probably not. But, you know, if you have a long-term 5, 10, 15, 20-year view, again, our job as stewards of client capital is to really make sure that we're doing our best to, to really focus on, you know, risks and rewards and generate those consistent risk-adjusted returns over time. Yeah, to get us where we want to be. That was an amazing conversation. I thought I would wrap it here, but you did say that I could ask you who's going to win the Super Bowl and who's going to win the Stanley Cup. So you put it out there. Okay, so I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> none at all. But so far from what I've seen, I'm going to go with the San Francisco 49ers. And for the Stanley Cup, boy, oh boy, I'll be in trouble uh, rapidly racking my brain. I'll predict boldly it's not going to be the Maple Leafs. And I would predict it's going to be the Boston Bruins. Well, like investing, it's just as much about what you don't own. So <laughs> not the Maple Leafs. I can get behind that. Um, thank you so much. And to our listeners, um, I hope you have a great 2024. As you now know, this podcast is available on all major streaming platforms. If you'd like to learn more about our outlook, if you want to learn more about artificial investing, about health sciences, simply listen to TDAM Talks and take a listen to some of the great contact we have there. Thanks, David. Have a great year. Thanks, Edgar. Much appreciated. The information contained herein is for information purposes only. The information has been drawn from sources believed to be reliable. The information does not provide financial, legal, tax, or investment advice. Particular investment, tax, or trading strategies should be evaluated relative to each individual's objectives and risk tolerance. This material is not an offer to any person in any jurisdiction where unlawful or unauthorized. These materials have not been reviewed by and are not registered with any securities or other regulatory authority in jurisdictions where we operate. Any general discussion or opinions contained within these materials regarding securities or market conditions represents our view or the view of the source cited. Unless otherwise indicated, such view is of the date noted and is subject to change. Information about the portfolio holdings, asset allocation, or diversification is historical and is subject to change. This document may contain forward-looking statements or FLS. FLS reflect current expectations and projections about future events and or outcomes based on data currently available. This document may contain forward-looking statements or FLS. FLS reflect current expectations and projections about future events and or outcomes based on data currently available. Such expectations and projections may be incorrect in the future as events which were not anticipated or considered in their formulation may occur and lead to results that differ materially from those expressed or implied. FLS are not guarantees of future performance and reliance on FLS should be avoided. TD Global Investment Solutions represents TD Asset Management Inc. and Epic Investment Park Pairs Inc. Both entities are affiliates and wholly owned subsidiaries of the Toronto Dominion Bank. 